right, so we are in the book of James. So um, as I've said before, when we do series, it really pays if you miss any to go back and, and go over it and check it because it's always a, um, a build. It builds one upon the other and it's really helpful if you've heard the rest to see where we're going with the next part. So I highly encourage you to either listen to it on Podbean, um, I think we're also on iTunes. Um, if you prefer to actually watch it, then by all means go to our Vimeo um, page and you'll be able to, to actually watch it on, on that. Um, and one of the things that I think we need to remember, particularly with this series, is that this series is really, really self-reflective, right? It's not one of those um, series where every week there's going to be some amazing challenge and rah-rah and you're going to go away feeling inspired. What should happen is that each week you should actually go away reflective because depending on where you're at with your journey will depend on how much each message each week's going to uh, impact you, right? So I really encourage you, be reflective, think it through, spend some time at, at all that you can find during the week and go, actually, where did I fit with that message? How much of that reflected is in me and what do I need to change? Because at the end of the day, this is about how you're going to live your Christianity, yeah. right? This is about how you're living your journey. This is not about how Craig and I live our journey and we're on our own journey. Like, we're all on our own journey. So I just want to really encourage you with that. So we are just reached chapter two. So the first couple of weeks, of course, we've been in chapter one, so now we're in chapter two. So turn with me. I'm just going to read the whole passage, and you'll understand by the time I finish reading this passage um, what it is that we're, we're going to be looking at. So James chapter two, verses one to 13. And at Craig's request, I'm using the NIV, which I refer to as the nearly incorrect version. Um, we have a, a kind of a little competition between the two of us, which we've been doing, um, I think, ever since we got married, because I prefer the New King James, Craig prefers the NIV. It actually doesn't matter, so long as you're reading the Word of God. But at his request, we're going to do the NIV. So, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes to, into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing the fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit, at the sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So obviously this passage we're talking about... Um, favoritism. But what's really interesting is, in fact, the whole book of James, James spends a lot of time talking about how do we all come together? 
How do we all come together? Not together like we're loosely hanging around, but how do we come together as people? And the thing that he spends a lot of time doing is he wants to talk about the things that trouble that together, together, the thing that disrupts our together, the thing that can cause a break in our together. And he, he talks about these things the whole way through the book of James. These things that trouble our together are things like um, judgment, favoritism, obviously, um, ego, pride, gossip. Basically, it's whatever comes out of your mouth that is speaking death rather than life. And we are actually all guilty of this. Like, quite often, we think to ourselves, if there is one big thing to fight, we can pinpoint it, we can look at it, we can go, yep, that's the big issue, and we can tackle it. These other things, these troublers, they're actually small. They're actually a little insignificant. They're a little bit insidious because they kind of get their way in and we don't even realize how bad they are. You see, I myself am guilty of some of these things. In fact, I was thinking about it when I, when I was putting together the message. I will quite often, if I know my mom has had a conversation with one of her sisters, I'll actually say to her, so spill the tea, what's the family goss, right? I want to know what's going on. Which one of my cousins has screwed up so I can feel slightly superior to them? Which one of my um, aunts or uncles has done something incredibly stupid? So, you know, we can talk about it, right? Or, or are you guys all just really super nice to all your family? You're liars. You're lying in church. But you, <laughs> but you know what I mean? There is, there is a real power in our together. So James's whole thing is don't let these little troublers actually break our together. You see, we think it's just a little bit of gossip or it's just a little bit of pride. But if you leave these things unchecked, they can actually ruin a lot of relationships. They can ruin our together. You can walk into a situation if you're slightly disgruntled because you knew that your cousin said this to your aunt and then your mom told you about it and now you're annoyed, right? These things happen. One of the best examples of together that, that we can see is actually the Godhead. It's actually the Trinity. It's uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are complete and whole in togetherness. They are one. What's really interesting is that a lot of us had this idea that the Godhead, it's not one plus one plus one equals three. The Godhead is one times one times one equals one because they are one, they are whole, they are together. And the devil actually hates together. I mean, he, he really hates together. And he hates together so much because he used to live in together, right? He experienced together. When he was in heaven, he experienced together on a whole other level, and he was fully a participant on it. Unfortunately, because he was unable to move beyond his own agenda, because he was unable to um, root out pride within himself, he lost together. And the thing is, he looks at us and he says he does not want us to experience the power of together because he knows that there is power in together. He knows that when we come together, things can change. The atmosphere, when we gather together, can bring an absolute change to wherever we are. It's why the Bible says, do not neglect meeting together. Like, it's all well and good, this whole COVID thing and telling everybody stay at home and have church at home. And you know what? There have been a whole bunch of Christians who have decided to continue that. That is not right because God very clearly says, do not neglect meeting together. 
because there is power in our together. The atmosphere can shift and change. Your faith can build when you are in a meeting gathering together with other believers and all of a sudden you might walk in not having any faith but walk out being faith-filled and begin to see a change. Together is so vitally important. And because the devil knows that change comes when we come together, because he knows that we can shift atmospheres and you can actually walk out of here as the warrior that God has called you to be, you need to understand that together is a fight. It's a fight. You want to be together, you're going to have to fight for it because he isn't going to roll over and just allow it. He, that's why he has gossip and pride and ego and things like that just to break in there and try to destroy our together. In Ephesians 4, verses 4 to 6, in the Message Bible, it says, You were all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction. So stay together, both outwardly and inwardly. You have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who rules over all, works through all, and is present in all. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness. Now that's God's plan for the church. That is his plan for us. His plan is not for us to be a bunch of individuals who, just made it, who happen to just come together for a social club. We are to be together um, in purpose. We are together in our worship. We are together in our faith. We are together in our beliefs. That is what he wants for us. You see, you have to understand that James at this time was writing in an age that was filled with a lot of prejudice, um, a lot of his um, hatred and stuff that, they, that existed in that day was based on class, ethnicity, nationality, and their religious backgrounds. In the ancient world, people were routinely and permanently categorized because they were either Jew or Gentile, they were a slave, or they were free, or they were rich, or they were poor, or they were Greek or a barbarian, or whatever. And a lot of Jesus' work, if you actually read through all of his stuff, you will see he spent an awful lot of time trying to break down these walls that divided us. Because he wanted us to be one. He wanted us to be together. You see, the, what was happening in the early church in the time when James was writing, where the unity was being established, was such a shock to the ancient world. Because it didn't matter who you were, people were coming together. But what's interesting, and we can tell by James's writing, is that this didn't happen automatically. This was a command from the apostles that the early church would never show favoritism because favoritism actually is destructive. Romans 2.11, for God does not show favoritism. I think that pretty much sums it up. We can all go home, <laughs> right? Now, I know this probably just bursts some of you guys' bubbles, right? Because you're sitting here and you're like, but I thought I was God's favorite. And you know what? You actually are. You are God's favorite. And so is the person next to you. And so is the person sitting behind. And so is the person who happens to go to another church. We're all God's favorite, right? I do this with my family all the time because I have my favorite husband. I have my favorite daughter. And I have my favorite son. And I remember I say this to them. I've been saying this to them for years. And uh, Seth says to me once, he goes, but mom, I'm your only son. And I went, well, it's amazing how that worked out then, isn't it? <laughs> but favoritism in a family can split, split families, right? Favoritism inside a family can be quite destructive. And I think that it's, it's one of those things where instead of blaming the person who is showing favoritism, we blame the person who was the favorite, right? Which is just so screwed up. 
but you see it. We all know those people who, you know, the grandparent has one particular grandchild that they're favoured of, right? You have, you know that your particular cousin is more favoured than you are, or you have, um, you know, you feel as a child that your parent favours the other one over you. And when that starts to happen, or when you realise that that's what's happening, it can break families open. It can make it quite um, an awful environment to be in. And that's one of the things that we really do need to be guarding against. You need to guard against it in your family, and you need to guard against it in this family. So James 1 to 4 says, just to refresh your memory, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? You see, favoritism actually affects what you see. You see, this person he's talking about, if you're looking at two different people, you are affected by what you see. When you look around this room and the people in it, what do you see? This is one of those reflective times. You don't have to answer out loud. It could be embarrassing. But be reflective. What do you see when you look at the different people around here? Favoritism actually gives us faulty vision. It creates blind spots in our world. It creates blind spots in our understanding, and it creates blind spots in how we see people. What we need to do is actually take the favoritism lens off our life and begin to see people how God sees people. So I've got this beautiful um, assistant today, and his name is Lance Stone. So if Lance can uh, stand up, he's going to help me with this really awesome... Um, there's really awesome uh, illustration to prove to you. All right, do we have our, do we have our, okay, so what Lance is going to do is he's going to hand out some shirts. I think there's like six or seven shirts, and he's going to hand these out to different people. And then if you get given a shirt, I want you to stand up and hold your shirt up. Now, these are not gifts. You must give these back to Lance, all right, or else he's going to come looking for you. See, favoritism works in a way that when we see something that we like or that we have an affinity with, we think to ourselves, they are my kind of people. We think to ourselves, these people who all like the Chiefs or these people who all like the Highlanders or these people who all like the Blues, they are my kind of people. It has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not we like the people, but we see something as simple as a T-shirt or a sports shirt, right? We see these shirts and you think, oh, they must be a great person because they're wearing my shirt, right? Yeah. yeah. All right, now, I'm going to need you guys later on, so just take a seat for now. Keep your shirts close. But that's honestly how we do it. We are that shallow that by just viewing something, we determine if we like it or not. I have this happen with my students all the time. They come and dressed in either red or blue, and then that determines if they're getting beaten up or not. Seriously, what's really interesting is sometimes you think to yourself, if you two would put the t-shirts aside, you'd actually be really good friends. But they can't see anything beyond the color of the t-shirt that they're wearing. So James is saying here that when you see a rich person or a poor person, you have an expectation as to what they are like as a person because of what you see. Would that be fair? Is that what we do? Yeah? Okay, Craig agrees. To show favoritism shows that we care more about the outward appearance than we do about the inward stuff going on. 
You see, God always looks at our heart. We unfortunately have a really bad habit of looking at the outward appearance. To show favoritism shows that we misunderstand who is important and blessed by God because we make the assumption that the rich person is more blessed by God. We put too much value on material riches. To show favoritism shows a selfish streak in ourselves. Usually we favor the rich man over the poor because the rich man can do favors for us that the poor can't. And that's a little bit painful when you consider that, right? Jesus is saying, or James here is saying, that's not how God does it. That's not how the church should work, and that's most definitely how we, not how we should work. We need to actually remove that lens of favoritism. Jesus actually had no favorites. When the religious people would come to him and say, stop hanging out with those people, he would go and have meal with the sinners. He would sit down with the prostitutes. He would even hang out with tax collectors. When they said to him, hey, just don't go to Zacchaeus' house, he was like, no, I'm, I'm not even, even going to go to his house. I'm having dinner with him. See, when people told Jesus that he shouldn't hang out with all kinds of people, Jesus would just go, and go ahead and do it. He was saying through his actions that there are no favorites. He doesn't have favorites, and we shouldn't have favorites. And all those people that Jesus didn't favor, and he just went and hung out with anyway, because even though they weren't considered the right people, they found forgiveness with Jesus. They found freedom. They found life and liberty. Now, you would think that the disciples who have hung out with Jesus this whole time and have seen Jesus model this, you would think that as a follower of Jesus that they would not have favoritism, right? So I want to talk briefly about a story in Acts chapter 10. But I hope that you get the point. And the point is, you just don't get to hang out with your people. You don't get to just hang out with the blues followers if you're a blues follower. You don't just get to hang out with those who are, uh, who are a chief's follower. You don't get to hang out with the people that you are comfortable with. You need to embrace all people. And that's really sad, particularly for people who are introverts. Because you actually have to hang out with people. You can't sit in a room by yourself, right? So in Acts chapter 10, there's this really interesting story. And Peter, who is Jewish, he has this dream. And he has this dream where, I'm just going to paraphrase because it's a long chapter, right? So he has this dream, in comes a sheet, and it's got covered with all these different animals, right? And he hears a voice that says, rise up, kill and eat. Nope, I've never touched anything unclean, I'm not doing that. Sheet goes away. Then it happens again, three times, same thing. Rise up, killing. He goes, no, no, I've never touched anything that the Jews aren't allowed to touch. I'm not going to do that, right? Anyway, he kind of wakes up, and he's pondering this. He's thinking, what was the significance of this? Why is now God telling me to do something that we've been taught we're not allowed to do? Now, at the same time, there's this poor guy on the other side of town called Cornelius, and Cornelius is not Jewish. He's a Gentile, and he's having this dream, and he's praying, and he has this vision, and he wakes up, and he sends, follows through the instructions, which is to send two guys to go and see Peter and ask Peter to come and tell him what he needs to do, because that's what he was told to do, right? So he does this. So Peter, of course, pondering this vision that he had, two guys turn up, you need to come and see Cornelius. And Peter's like, but Cornelius isn't Jewish. And in his culture, he wasn't allowed to do that. He wasn't allowed to hang out with anybody who was not Jewish. No, no, you need to come and see him. He's a great guy. You know, he supports the local um, tabernacle and blah, 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 blah. And, and you just need to come because he's requested your presence. So Peter's got this kind of 
angst going on because he's not supposed to according to his culture but then he did just have this whole vision about doing things that was against his culture and does he go or doesn't he go and then he says something a little shocking considering he has been with Jesus considering he knows that God doesn't have favorites um, on his way he finds out something as he spends time with him and in Acts chapter 10 verse 34 then Peter began to speak I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism What's interesting is that Peter, Jesus had spent three years with Jesus, watched Jesus. He still had this kind of, I'm going to favor the Jewish people over the Gentile people kind of thing in him. He didn't think he had that until he was confronted and had a moment. What's interesting, though, is he didn't realize this when he was with Jesus. He didn't realize it when he saw Jesus speak to the woman at the well. He didn't realize it when he saw Jesus talk to the woman caught in adultery. He didn't realize it when he saw Jesus not only heal but also touch a leper, which are all things that no one was supposed to do. He only had this moment of revelation at that point. And I kind of think to myself, I don't think it was intentional. I don't think he deliberately set out to not be unbiased. I think he, he didn't think to himself, I am deliberately being showing favoritism to the Jews, because that's not how favoritism works. Nine times out of ten, it's in our blind spot, and we don't even know we're doing it. And I think Peter had that moment. And I kind of want for today, for there to be a moment for us when we realize, how have we been viewing people? How have we been viewing them? Are we viewing them the way God has, or are we holding on to some favoritism? What we need to do is we need to pray, God, show me if there's anything in me that is a troubler of together? Is there anything in me that is, is breaking down the together that we have? So, where are my wonderful people with their shirts? I would like you to take your shirt, stand up, stay where you are, it's fine, stay where you are, take your shirt, take it off the hanger, and I want you to turn your shirt inside out. Everyone got their shirts inside out? I want you to tell me, who made your shirt? Adidas. Every, everyone's shirt was made by Adidas? Yeah. You know what? The people that work at the manufacturing plant, they don't get to say, I'm only sewing tags into the Hurricanes shirt, because I'm a Hurricanes person. I don't get to only sew tags into the um, Highlander shirt, because I'm a Highlander person. What they say is, they were all made, they were all labelled by the same manufacturer. And we have to start seeing people that way. We are all made by God. We are all made in his image. We are made by him and for him, and none of us is better than anybody else. On the inside, we are exactly the same. Thank you, guys. You can sit down. We all had the same label. We're all made in the image of God. It doesn't matter what the outside looks like. What matters is your heart. 1 Samuel 16 verse 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So what do you see when you look at people? Do you see their possessions or do you see the person? Do you see their behavior or do you recognize that they are a brother and sister in Christ? Are you so focused on the external or you focus on the internal. If we're going to do, uh, deal with the trouble of favoritism, then we're going to have to change how we see. And the reason why we need to change how we see is because then it changes how we speak. 
It changes the way that we speak. James 2, 3, if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my feet. What you are seeing is affecting what you are saying. And the enemy has done so much damage to us through our tongues, right? It's a little thing that can, can control so many things. We don't even realize that we can at times cause division because when we are seeing wrong, we begin to say wrong. Favoritism is a language that is exclusive, but together is inclusive. Sometimes we pray and we say, God, I really want a word. God, speak to me. God, you know, I need a sign. Give me something, some confirmation. But that the person who it comes through, we don't receive it because we don't like the package it's in. Sometimes the miracle you need is inside a package that you least expect. There have been times in my life, and I'm talking about when I was fairly newly saved, and I remember being on an altar call, and I didn't want this one particular pastor to pray for me because I didn't like him on a personal level. You know what? That was foolish. He actually had a word for me that confirmed everything that I'd been talking to God about. But I was almost at the point of not receiving it because of who it was coming through. Favoritism affects what we speak, and it creates a small world inside our very big, expansive one. The devil knows that he needs to keep us divided because he knows the power of together. Can I just have the band? Matthew 18:20 says, For where two or three gather in my name, there I am in the midst. And that is the biggest issue why he does not want us to be together. Because when we gather together in his name, Jesus turns up. But if we have gathered together and it's not in his name, if we, if we, sorry, if we have not gathered together, Jesus isn't there. The enemy does not want your group of friends to get bigger. He doesn't want your influence to get bigger. He doesn't want your power of agreement to grow. He doesn't want our together to grow. Favoritism has a sound and it destroys together. That's why we have to address what we say. We can bring together back into our marriages and into our homes and into our church and into our community. So think about it today and this week. What do you see? What do you say? And then that'll tell you what we need to do. James 2, 8 to 9. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. See, James realized that some of his readers will try to justify their favoritism of rich people, right? By saying, oh, but I'm just loving my neighbor as myself. The issue isn't that you like a rich person. The issue is that you show favoritism to the rich person and you ignore and do not like the poor person. And it's not enough to say, oh, I'm just fulfilling the love your neighbor as yourself. Really? Because you're being really selective as to who your neighbor is. Our God is a great king and his law is a royal law. James is reminding us that a poor man is just as much of our neighbor as the rich man is. James 2.13, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We destroy the troubler of favoritism by loving our neighbor as ourselves. That's it. Very simple. You want to get rid of favoritism? Just love everybody. We need to let our love go deeper and we need to let it go wider. We can beat the enemy at this game that he keeps winning in the church. By saying, you know what, I don't, I don't care what the person looks like. I don't care how they dress. I don't care what they sound like. I'm just going to love them no matter what. 
because the outward package doesn't mean anything. It's like when a, a newborn baby is born and the mom just thinks the baby's beautiful and you're like, this. and you go, yes, yes it is. Because you're not going to sit there and go, your baby is ugly, right? But you've all had those moments. They're a part of our family and we're going to love on them anyway. We're going to love our neighbor because our Lord tells us to. We're going to follow the royal way and not the world's way. We're going to follow the king of kings because we're going to have mercy triumphing over judgment. We're going to be a people that when we see favoritism, we're going to change our lens. We're going to change what we hear. We're going to change what we say. We're going to change what we see because we're going to move together as one. Love will find a way where the world can't. Love will find a way when there's so much difference that we can't move forward, but love will find a way to move forward in unity. Love finds a way because mercy will triumph over judgment. And all we need to do is take the time to be reflective. Is there anything in me, God? Anything in me that's troubling our together? Why don't you stand to our feet and we're going to pray.